0: Welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, and you can find my movie reviews and interviews 24-7 in the U.S. and abroad, in print and online, no, most notably on BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, I am right here on AdrenalineRadio.com, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and Because our station owner, Nick Federoff, likes to play with toys and technology, if you happen to be listening, you can also go to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page and you can watch us live stream on Facebook. Not that it's anything exciting. It's just me sitting here. But you can see all the really cool Marvel swag that adorns the tablescape uh, from Captain Marvel, and a Funko Goose, to Iron Man, to Thor, to Captain America, to Black Widow, and Captain Marvel herself. So, that's about the only fun stuff to look at. Uh, But, feel free. Otherwise, you can just wander around the house and listen to us, or wander around the office, on AdrenalineRadio.com. So, very excited about today's show. We're talking about a bunch of films that I like all of them. I truly and genuinely like All of them. They are all wickedly delicious. Uh, Very excited that we're going to have joining us, Director Jay Lowey is going to be here talking about extracurricular activities, which is opening, uh, I believe, over the weekend. We're also going to have Ari Taub with us, talking about 79 parts. And you will get to hear it. Hopefully, all of it. My exclusive interview with Dennis Quaid, talking about his brilliantly insane performance on in The Intruder, which is still rocking it at the box office, number four this week. Avengers is still number one, closing in on that three billion dollar mark globally. Uh, but yes, very excited for Dion Taylor. Uh, And if you missed last week's show, please go to Stitcher, go to iTunes, go to BehindTheLensOnline.net and take a listen to it. Dion was our guest, live guest for the entire hour. And he's got, he's so much fun and he has so much heart and so much passion uh, that he's always a joy to listen to. And you can always glean something, especially if you're a filmmaker. And he's a self-taught filmmaker. So he's got a lot of insight and learning lessons that... Filmmakers can take can take heed and and learn a little bit from. But right now we got a little clip for you. Many of you may remember David Palomaro has been on our show several times. Um, Most notably last year while his film Murder Made Easy was on the festival circuit. Uh, It is very Hitchcockian, very Agatha Christie. Uh. Best friends, Joan and Michael, are hosting a dinner party on the anniversary of the death of jo- of Joan's husband. As each guest arrives, they find their lives are on the menu. There is food, cre- a course, created for each of the guests coming to this dinner party. And it all revolves around a secret that links all of them. And, of course, with every course, there's six guests, six meals, six murders. And Murder Made Easy comes out on Blu-ray and DVD next week on May 20th. But right now, you can pre-order by going to ScreamTeamReleasing.com It's a 24.99 dollars pre-order for a special edition. And as part of the special edition, you've got... Let me get my notes so I get it right. There's two audio commentaries, 5.1 sound, they're bloopers, deleted scenes, collectible postcards of artwork, a photo gallery, rehearsal scenes... Uh, an autograph and a dinner invite autographed by David and by the film's leading actress, uh, Jessica Graham. But w- out of the f- plus, the first 150 people to pre order Murder Made Easy on Blu ray DVD also get a signed poster from the film. And the big bonus one lucky person in the first 150. Uh, orders for pre-orders for Murder Made Easy. There's a clue card, and on that clue card, if you have that, it entitles you to a gift pack, and it is a very cool gift pack, people. It includes the Art of Horror Movies and Illustrated Story by Stephen Jones. It's a fabulous book. Horror fans out there, I'm sure are familiar with it. There's a BFISA. There is a Funko Horror figure uh, figurine, and of course. Just, I always have Funko, always have Funko here uh, on Behind the Lens. There's also a one-of-a-kind 3D artwork, custom-made for Murder Day Made Easy that you'll get, and an actual piece of the film, uh, a very important photograph that's autographed by all the cast members. So, why don't we take a listen to David and I chatting about just the, the Blu ray DVD release and the fun things that are coming up. And hopefully, you'll all go to screamteamreleasing.com and uh, pick up a copy. But let's take a listen to David. Have you re edited and recut for the Blu ray DVD? Well, what we did do is we included the le-
1: all the deleted scenes that got taken out, we put on the DVD as deleted scenes extras So um, you can see some of that. So you can see the original opening scene is one long take now. And uh, it seems, um, you can see the, the scenes being pulled out, even the little, some of the scenes of Top of the, scenes, the scenes we took out you can see that, um, saw that uh, on Blu-ray. So yeah, I was, I to be able uh, to show people that, so they can see, we did this thing, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, but now, yeah. is, is the Blu-ray version different from what was, uh, what was running on the fest circuit?
1: No, 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 the actual, um, um. It's pretty much the same. I mean, we, we finished up there. Uh, we did a little more tweaking on the sound mix and stuff like that, but you know, it's pretty much the same. It's the same 76-minute version. Like I said, we just have... We have the, the Blu-rays full, filled with all the extras, like a couple audio commentaries and the aforementioned you know, bloopers. We have some rehearsal scenes that I shot on an iPhone that's on there. Uh, and stuff like that. i So it's just nice because you can see some of the stuff we took out and you can see some of the long takes that we took out and so you can see, you know, the difference between what the movie ended up and what it used to look
2: like, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Now I've got to ask you about on, because you've got your first 150, co- 150 copies of the DVD Blu-ray somewhere in those 150. There's only one clue card. This is a really, this is a very cool gimmick that you came up with. <laughs> I love this. Talk to me about this clue card.
1: Dream team releasing is our, our distributor uh and um we decided to do a fun contest it's like the willy wonka and the golden ticket contest you know um and um you get a golden ticket in one of the chocolate bars so we're doing the same thing if you buy a signed copy of the blu-ray and one of the first 150 there's one of these clue cards in there and if you get that clue card you win a whole horror gift package we're we're giving away you know um uh the art of horror book and a bunch of other stuff we're even giving away that that photo of all the cast members that's uh, a big part of the movie we're Mm -hmm. giving that we're giving that away too we're going to everyone's going to sign it and that's going to be part of the horror gift package so it's just a fun way for people to get kind of enthusiastic about picking up a Blu-ray you
0: know I think it's I think it's a really cool idea it's such a great gift pack that somebody has a chance to win and the odds 1 out of 150
3: those are not bad odds
0: no it's pretty good that's pretty good. Those are really good odds. I wish lottery yeah. tickets had those kind of odds. That's right. Well, it's
1: funny because we also it comes with a signed poster too, and we signed the posters at my apartment here. And um, we only had the, the distributor sent us the exact amount of posters we needed to sign. And as we sent them out, and one of my cast members who was signing them, I thought this too. I'm like, "Hey, do we get one of these?" Was like, "No, we can't because they're
0: oh my only- god."
1: <laughs> well, because we had to send we had to send them back. You know, we didn't order any extra posters, so. You know, there's part of me that wants to like put on a mustache and order the Blu-ray.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, send me the one with the ticket, and I'll give it. And I'll give you the poster. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Everybody else might be a little mad about that. But. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I don't think that would work too well. So there is just some of the fun and the frolic from writer-director David Palomaro for Murder Made Easy. It is out next week, Blu-ray DVD. You can also go to Murder Made Easy. I think it's MurderMadeEasy.com, and you can order various versions. The special edition is $24.99, and that's the one that they may have a clue card that the first 150 copies pre-ordered. Um, you get a signed poster and a bunch of other goodies. So moving on, and we'll hear more from David probably in next week's show about editing and a few other things. Uh, with Murder Made Easy. But now moving on, we're going to jump back again. Last week we heard Dion Taylor talking all about The Intruder. Right now, you're going to take a listen to at least part, part of my exclusive interview with Dennis Quaid talking about his character of Charlie Peck. This is a character unlike anything Dennis Quaid has ever, ever done. This is his Jack Nicholson, The Shining Moment. Um, uh, we may never see anything like this again from Dennis, unless of course we get the intruder too, and Charlie Peck makes a return. but let's take a listen to what Dennis had to say about making the intruder Dennis, you blew my mind here. I have never seen a performance from you like this
4: uh, that's what uh, everybody keeps saying yeah, uh, you know, I saw it I saw the movie like them. You know, you know in a little screening room like with my publicist. <laughs> so, you know, this is it's a great movie to see with an audience.
2: Oh, like, yeah. Or a
4: day, or a day, you know what I mean? Where nobody knows what's going to happen. And uh it's uh I'm getting a lot of buzz for it. I've never heard so much excitement.
0: Yeah. Um, this but. this is your Jack Nicholson the shining moment. You think? Oh god, yeah. I mean I've been on this well, ride with you for decades now and absolutely, Dennis.
4: Well, I was just having fun.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I could tell that. I mean you were channeling yeah, yeah. you were channeling a little bit of the killer Jerry Lee Lewis in there.
4: Um, well, there was a little trap data there too.
0: There certainly was and that's, that, that's
4: how you think he is.
0: That's one of the great things I loved was the first half of the film watching you as Charlie and Megan Good as Annie there was Uh almost a very paternal um, affection there between the two of you very bittersweet and I loved watching that but then we get to the midpoint of the film and everything just goes to hell and you just go off the rails on take us on this ride that is unbelievable
4: yeah misunderstandings
0: that's all <laughs> that's it is <laughs> I know Dion loved working for you he loved working with you absolutely <laughs> we'll say it's the
4: same we're, we're looking for something else to do together actually and uh, he's, a, he's he's a, he's mr. excitement you know he's yeah. got a we're, we both have high metabolisms and uh, we get really excited about what we do he's very collaborative and we just had fun.
0: You know, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but to execute Charlie Peck the way you did, you real number one, you have to be an actor who's willing to go there, who is willing to push that envelope to the extreme, but you also need a director who's going to let you do that.
4: Push the envelope to the extreme. Extreme the is an
0: actor, but then you also need a director who's going to let you do that.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's one of the great things about working with Dion, because, I mean, usually, myself anyway, I love the freedom to go out there and just be, you know, to, to really take it out there, you know, risk actually being bad over the top or, or too small or whatever it is, and then, you know, I, I need somebody usually to pull me back, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we were perfect for each other that way, because uh, he's a very strong director, and uh, you know, um, that's, that's exactly what made our relationship
0: so good mm-hmm. something else it's a trademark of dion's and i always joke with him about he loves night shoots
4: i hate them <laughs> I, he loves
0: night shoots and he loves those claustrophobic uh setups such as what we have with the tunnels under foxglove here yeah now yes. how did this work for you because you do hate night shoots and he thrives on them
4: yeah so I understand I like splits myself where you kind of get off you know but, and so you can make the last call <laughs> 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 or, or at least have somewhat of an evening you know that and not have to get up too early in the morning yeah it's all civilized
0: what did you think when this script came across your desk
4: um well I thought it was very different from I didn't know why they were offering it to me but yeah, I guess I did because nobody would expect me to be that,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, and uh, right off the top. And um, that's why Dion wanted me to do it. And so I read the script and then I had a I had a talk with Dion for about an hour on the phone and we just really connected and had the same ideas about where to go with it. And uh, that, that was it.
0: What was your process like to internalize Charlie Peck and find him within you because this is so different for you
4: well for me it was really about I uh I just had to see his point of view you know I saw Mm -hmm. things from his point of view you know no matter how diluted that might be and uh um, that was how I got into um Charlie Peck and then I took a little bit from uh, you know, The Parent Trap, a little bit from the, you know, it's like I start referencing, so here I am in the, in, uh, <coughs> at this time in my career I'm actually referencing my own movies for another character but uh, you know, they had kind of shades of the same thing and, in there and uh, you know, they get those serial killers a lot of times when they catch them You know, they go interview the neighbors and they always say, Gosh, he was the nicest guy. We had no clue that, you know, he was (laughs) Well that's that's Charlie Pett.
0: You with your killer
4: smile.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And of course you you with your killer smile, one look at your smile and everybody's gonna melt and say, Yeah, he is the nicest guy.
4: It was it was fun. Everybody had a good time and nobody got hurt
0: well and on this film that's an important thing because there is quite a bit of action here there are the exteriors the night shoots and you're in this heavily wooded area um you know how many of your own stunts were you doing in here because i know Uh, you like to do a lot i did it uh,
4: but michael and i both did everything except you know going over the balcony and you know going over the balcony and crashing into the table wow for the for the guys oh. I didn't think I'd show up at work the next day if
0: <laughs> <laughs> no the action sequences with the two of you are so well done Dennis
4: yeah I, I liked that uh, we had the same idea uh Dion and I that you know, it was really a like hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. you know, just're using anything available to get uh, you know, fighting for your life yeah you
0: know, how yeah. how important was filming in this house, this foxglove location for this film? Because I know Michael told me he's looking at the call sheet and every day it's in the house, in the house, in the house, in the house. Um, in the house! <laughs> does that help you especially the context of this house and the production design within it that's so instrumental as a catalyst for Charlie? Oh,
4: well, the, the house is Pretty much the main character of of the film, you know, it's all about that house. Uh, Charlie uh, grew up in that house. It's like it was home to three generations of of his family going back. And uh, you know, he has he has a few things that he uh, likes to keep hidden there there as well. And uh, he has trouble leaving Mm -hmm. leaving it. You know, I think anybody can understand that. You know, mm-hmm. a place that you love, then it's, it's hard to leave. Oh, he's just a little deluded about it.
0: Mm-hmm. I heard you talking about your ranch in Montana that you had given up and that you actually went back to see it. Yeah,
4: it was, uh, yeah, I went back to see it. Come back anytime, and I've
0: taken And that's part of our exclusive interview with Dennis Quaid. Um, all of that. And in text form, will be up on behindthelensonline.net this week. Uh, but right now, God, we just had some minor confusing confusion. We have the director for the child remains. He's not due to call in until June third. Um, he called in early, so we just rectified that. He'll be Michael will be joining us on June third. But right now, I'm very excited to bring live Jay Lowey. Are you there, Jay?
5: I am. How are you?
0: Oh, I am thrilled to be talking to you after watching the incredible, the wickedly delightful extracurricular activities. I'm telling you, you get you get an A plus and extra credit for this one. Um, This (laughs) I, Jay, I love this film. Forget about the fact Dory Barton is is a producer on it. I love Dory. Uh, forget about the, forget about the fact you've got Patrick Fabian in there. Um, forget about the fact you got,
5: Uh,
0: (laughs) Patrick is, he's, he's a kick in the butt. He is a kick in the ass. Let me tell you, um, Patrick and I first met back when he did the last exorcism and then when he did, then when he did driver X, he was on the show last year, the year before, Uh, for about a half an hour, talking about Driver X when he did that, because that whole film is him. Um, I adore Patrick. And then you bring in the wonderful Ariana Ortiz, who just wowed everybody with her recent stint in Off the Menu. And you get the veteran Miriam Flynn on hand, and I'll see Miriam in anything. She pops up in everything. But this rests on Colin Ford and Ellie Bamber, as our two, as our cheerleader and our Brainiac, A-plus student and perfect son, uh, Mary Allison Reagan, what a ride. You just, it's fresh, it's funny, it's rapier. You've got tropes without going overboard, and you've got an end twist that is literally to die for, I want part two. Uh,
5: uh. You know. We'll have to talk. We'll have to talk to Bob Sines, the writer, about that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he, he, he's he's incredible and a dear friend. And uh, one thing I, I, I do have to bring up is actually, you know, uh, Tim Simons also is incredible in the movie. Um, I, I adore him, and I think he's an enormous talent. I think it was a really uh, that role quite a, a, an incredible amount of finesse, and uh, you know, he and, and just physical uh, physical comedy. And I think he. Um, Uh, I mean, again, I love everybody that you were talking about, but I do think I want to send a shout-out to him because I thought he was incredible. Oh,
0: absolutely. As Detective Dawkins, he really gives, because he did play, he's got a lot of physical comedy there, a lot of physical comedy, and it's not easy for what you have him doing in order to execute it so he's not injuring himself. Um, So, But I really enjoyed, and I wasn't familiar with, A lot of his work or you know so to see him here with going toe-to-toe against Colin Ford was so much fun and then your other supporting players around them but I've got to ask you Jay you get this script it comes across your desk obviously you're reading this you had to be laughing but how are you visualizing how you're going to bring this to life on the big screen
5: well, I mean, I, I, you know, there's sort of a long his, there's a long history to it. I think that uh, honestly, I think Bob wrote the script about 19 years ago, from what I wow. from what I understand, and then he and I crossed paths about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, you know, we got really used to hearing the word "no." I think people were very. Uh, I, I immediately thought it was original controversial hilarious and uh more than anything just new uh and um i think that uh you know we 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 always thought it was going to be something that was sort of like uh uh one of those traditional movies like uh ferris bueller or any of those john Hughes movies from the 80s but um you know, you, you take that and you put it on crack, and uh, so you have the same glossy world that you would that you would have in those kind of uh, in those kind of scenarios, but you know, with, with with a dark undercurrent that you wouldn't expect.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just it is it's a fresh twist, and the fact that the students aren't dumb; all the students are intelligent. It's a nice quiet town; nobody's ever in trouble. But you have this one entrepreneur, Reagan. He sees a need to fill, eliminating crappy parents. But he uses his brain and science and math and geometric calculations. It's wonderful to see education being put to such good use, I have to say. Uh, it's just, I, and you just don't know what's coming. And the way this unfolds is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I've, I've got to, I have to talk to you about your editor, about Michael Swingler. Um, I loved what he did. He, he kept uh, Josh Huber's film, Making Babies with Steve Howey. He kept that moving and had a really good pace. This is a different kind of pace. And the two of you really let things sit and breathe. And in many cases be observational. Except when we've got Timothy Simons on screen, when when Detective Dawkins is on screen, then it really moves a little quicker and you really get a sense of the bumbling as opposed to the well-crafted calculations of Reagan. How did the two of you come about with that perfect pacing in the editing room?
5: Um. No, I, I don't I, I think it's just I think it's just process I mean obviously you know Mike, Mike's been an incredibly talented guy and, and uh, really most of the time I think with any of these things whether you're on set or in the editing room all you're trying to do is just have fun um, so I think that it's, it's partially just us trying to make each other laugh in the editing room but but the other thing is really letting the performances kind of dictate finding the rhythm in the performances and letting that dictate the way that you're cutting so I, I think that You know, I would say, you know, I I could say that it's something more complicated than that, but really, in the end, as you watch watch the film, as you watch the cut, as you watch the performance, you just try to look at it and think, well, what does the audience want to see next? And then you cut to that.
0: Mm. Well, and something else that really makes this so appealing is, as a great, in a way it's a contrast, but it also buttresses the dark, comedic, the rapier tones of the film. Your cinematography, what you and your cinematographer have done, your visual tonal bandwidth, you keep it bright, you keep it light, it's high polished, it's saturated. You make great use of color, particularly in Reagan's bedroom with the wall color and even in his parents' house so that things stand out, they're striking. And yet, then you go into costume and Reagan is... Kind of blending into the woodwork at all times. Very uh, so, I love the visual construct that you have.
5: Uh, no, thank you. I mean, again, uh, that's a testament to the that's a testament to the. You know, I will take credit for having chosen great collaborators. I think that Dave visit uh, with my cinematographer uh, is, is just. Has an incredible, an incredible eye and a, and a real and a real sensitivity to, to light and how to how to help put the camera in a place where it's going to be, where it's going to not only make things beautiful but also uh, be in the right place to capture the comedy and 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 the best of the performances. And as far as the color palette, um, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to our our, our production designer Zach Bang, who just. Uh, uh, you know, who I've been a huge fan of and uh, basically begged him to come on. And uh, we were stoked when he did because really it was, uh, you know, I think that once we found the good he was able to kind of uh, create colors that made you feel how the movie was supposed to feel. And I think in both cases, what we were trying to do is to create uh, a very sort of idealized, wealthy, uh, you know, uh, polished kind of uh, world, where uh, to contrast with sort of the underlying, from the underlying darkness in the material, so that you wouldn't take it so seriously, and that it would be easier on the palette.
0: Mm-hmm. And it it works beautifully with that as your intent. It, <laughs> wor- you. it it works beautifully, Jay. You know, I'm curious. How do you sit down and when you're working with with your DP with with Jay visit? How do you go, do you sit down, do you storyboard something like this? Because you do have some great um, set pieces here. You've got, you know, car accidents, you've got a car explosion, you've got uh, tree limbs breaking in thunderstorms. Uh, you have some really fun things happening. So do you shot list, do you storyboard this out? What is your approach with this film?
5: Um, uh, yes, yeah. um, to all of the above, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in preparation. I mean, I think that uh, yeah, Jay, Jay and I were uh, connected at the hip for, <laughs> uh, for several months, and uh, you know, I think the first thing was that we both really saw the same movie, and I think that that's really important. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what, one of the things about having a movie that it took so long to make was that we had a lot of a lot of time to storyboard it and re storyboard it and really figure out. Um, exactly what we're going for, and I think it's sort of funny um, when you're that prepared, you you actually um, are able to get better performances too, because you know what you, you you're not really thinking about the tech the technical aspects of things; you're really worried about what's most important on the day, which is the performance of the actor. Mm-hmm. So, um, but as far as that stuff, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, especially on a on a on a tight independent movie, the more planned you can be, the more. Uh, the more opportunity you have to really um, try to get the precise steps you're going for.
0: Mm -hmm. Now I'm curious, because the comedic timing is so crucial in this film, uh, because you need need that rapier, you need that rapier edge of a lot of the delivery uh, as it comes down. So how stringent were you with the dialogue uh, that Bob had written, Or did you give the actors the freedom for ad lib uh, throughout the film? Because, of course, we've got high school students there. They have a language all amongst themselves sometimes. So I'm curious, were you, you know, was the page gospel or did you give everybody freedom to ad lib or contribute? Um,
5: You know, I'm a big believer in um, sticking to the the script first, but I also think that, we were, we were really lucky to have a terrific casting director um, who, and I think, uh, and Woody, Woody, Woody Allen said, I think 80% of, 80% of your job is showing up, mm-hmm. but I would kind of say 90, 90% of your job is casting, and uh, so that I think that all the actors really not only were able to hit their dialogue, but we were also able to, as we moved on in the scene um, ad some and, and, allow them to, um, really bring all their creativity to the role. So I think it's, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of actors are used to working that way in the sense that oftentimes we wouldn't, you know, we would get the scene and we wouldn't even cut. We would just, we would just sort of keep it rolling, go back to one and then keep in a flow where, where suddenly it was not only some of the great lines, but also, um, a lot of the you're looking for a lot of funny behavior that comes out as actors, you know, as actors sort of relax and, and really kind of disappear into their characters, which is what you always hope as a director. You know, you're, you're always, in the end, especially with comedy, uh, you're just trying to get out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I would say that, it, yes, yeah, it's, com- it's, it's a combination, but it all starts, you know, again, it all starts with script. And, and from there, um, yeah, just letting the actors bring their, their respective creativity to each part
0: so how difficult was the casting process here because this is a you you're wrangling a lot of people here you've got a multiplicity of students that are directly involved in the dynamic the the main story drive of reagan's entrepreneurial efforts um but then you've got parents thrown in you've got other classmates teachers principals so you're wrangling a lot but you really had to get a good mix, especially of the principles, of who who felt right. So I'm curious how difficult and challenging the casting was.
5: Um, you know, we um, I mean, I'm sending shout outs to a lot of people, but uh, uh, Lisa London and Catherine, Soud, uh, Catherine Stroud, sorry, Catherine, um, uh, we're great. I mean, they have, they have such a, a sense of the, of, the, of the pulse of what's going on. It, it's not an accident that it seems like everybody that we cast in the movie uh, have become uh, bigger stars since we cast them. I mean, you know, people people like Ellie and, and Colin and Anderson Stein and, and Daniel McDonald and um, uh, Chris Warren um, and Christine Co. I mean, all of them are uh, continuing to just get more and more work because they're so great. Um, and I think, you know, it's also similar to Tim. When we met with Tim, we thought, oh, he's way too young to art, But we met with him, and he was so hilarious that in the middle of meeting, uh, the, by my producing partner, David Wilson, and I just looked at each other and were like, okay, can we rewrite this for you? Because because we want you in the movie. Um, and I think, so I think it was a combination of having you know, a, a really strong uh, casting director putting us in the in the position to see great talent and uh, um, just listening to our gut and find you know in the sense that I think with every part we we either knew who we wanted or in meeting with someone it just became obvious immediately. So I think that part of living with a movie for so long is that you you we really understood what we wanted from each character and. Uh, David and I had a pretty easy time deciding on the character. Um, And, uh, you know, it was, I think, probably our biggest surprise and our biggest coup was was probably uh, uh, Bobby Lee, who who David managed to track down and snag, who I think maybe has one of the single funniest uh, sequences in the movie.
0: (laughs) You uh, I know which sequence you're talking about and it is beyond it is off the charts out of control and
5: uh, <laughs> he's still fun he's one of the funniest people
0: and I that don't I've ever met. I he's don't want to there. give away any spoilers about that because the film your premiere is Thursday the film is opening this weekend. Um, how excited are you to have the film finally go out there for everybody to be able to see?
5: uh thrilled Uh, you know it's uh again it's one of those things that uh you know especially for me and bob it's been uh you know it's it's been 10 years and change and the number of no's we received because of uh because people were sort of afraid of the general conceit of this is uh we really got used to hearing the word no um so the idea that finally there's a big yes that's coming out uh is uh honestly it's uh it's a dream come true and uh I hope people enjoy it. I hope people enjoy watching it as much as we
0: enjoy it. Well, trust me, I have to see it again because I was laughing so hard during parts of it that I was missing parts of it. Um, so I will be watching it a second time. But like I said, Jay, boy, you get an A+. A-plus a plus for your extracurricular activities here, let me tell you. I mean, a fun...
5: Uh, thanks, it, thanks so much. <laughs>
0: I'll it, take it. It's a fun, fun, wickedly fun film. Unfortunately, Jay, we're out of time. I have to move on to our next guest who is also rep by the same publicist who's working with you um, because they, oh, they are the best. Uh, but, I hope I will see you, I'm hoping to see you either at the press day on Thursday or if I can make it to the uh, to the red carpet on Thursday night at the Lemley Monica. So anybody in the L.A. area, Lemley Monica, Thursday night, be there, 7 o'clock, for the premiere of extracurricular activities. You will not regret it. Jay, thank you so, awesome. so We're much. It. Go ahead.
5: Also, oh, final plug we're also playing from we're, we're also playing from the 17th through the 23rd of the lovely Monica as well uh, please come join us I think Bob and I and several of the actors will be there at almost all the screenings um, uh, for QA and all that so uh, once again lovelyly Monica 17th through the 23rd please come join us and uh, thank you so much for having us on your show oh uh, really enjoy this. Jay
0: thank you and again I hope I see you on Thursday have a good right, day guys. Bye bye.
5: Yeah. Bye.
0: And that was Jay Lowey. And now we're we're gonna jump right into Ari Tob and seventy nine parts. Oh my god, Ari, what a film. How are you? I'm I'm here on the line. I am so thrilled to have you here. Thank you for holding. Thank you, dear. Your publicists have no they been very busy. The last call was
3: rocking and rolling. Honestly, they've got the revolving door going. They're just they're just sending in are uh, in the the troops. They're coming in. They
0: are. I will do anything in the world for Sylvia and her team. Anything.
3: They're great. And, we love them. We think they're fantastic. And
0: yeah. with films like uh, like the one like extracurricular activities and seventy nine parts, it's like I have to have these guys on the show, and they go no problem. We'll make it happen. <laughs> and that's
3: great to hear what well, we want. To, we want to be on the show. So there you go.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I was so excited when I first heard about 79 parts, the whole premise period comedy, 1979, New York law student been there, done that. I had to work my way through law school, come up with money. So I could really relate to the character of Jack who had no money to pay his tuition. Uh, Great, but this whole East Coast world, and I'm from Philly, so I understood this the whole New York vibe.
3: Um, well, Philly actually, it's funny you say that. Philly is um, basically almost in some areas uh, got areas that are better preserved and older than New York yeah. because it's, some of the areas don't have much money. So it's like it's even if I could shoot in Philly, I could have done even more. You know. Yeah, uh, from New York. So we shot New York. But New York's been developing so much. It's really hard to get those locations. And I think in Philly, I probably would have had an easier time.
0: And Philly has great tax credits for filmmakers, too.
3: Uh. Yeah, well, there you go. Maybe <laughs> we'll go there next time. But this, I'm getting reverb. I'm getting reverb or some kind of thing on the line. Can I, how can I stop that? Is there a way to uh, stop
0: that? Let's see. Do you hear anything? on? Uh, there's a tiny little bit. I don't know. Uh, is Are you on a cell phone?
3: Yeah, I'm a cell phone straight. It's it's I hear myself talking.
0: It's Pam Pam's playing with things. She's not getting anything here now.
3: Okay. I hear what I hear myself. I don't hear a reverb on you, I just hear myself talking twice. It's kinda huh. weird because 'cause I'm like hearing myself talking to me, which is really weird. <laughs> so I've like, done that right. before. But I can I can deal with it if, if we have no choice, let's do it. I'm well,
0: ready. it sounds fine on this end, Ari. I Let's mean, do it, it. it. I'm ready. Okay. So. Well, I've you know the the whole premise of the story it is hilarious, but when this first came to you, because you did 2016, and now you've done a director's cut that's coming out now. It's already on VOD for people that you don't have to wait to go to a theater. It's out there. You can see this now. Um, right. When this script came to you, were you involved with Chuck McMahon on the development of it, or did this just was it written and then comes to you and you went, Oh my god, I have to do this.
3: Oh, not at all. You're so far off base it's uh I have to correct you on that. I mean, I love what you're saying because it's kind of a cool question, but I need to like get the let's get the records straight. Let's get the records the straight. Was never finished. Yeah. The movie was never finished in two thousand sixteen. You probably saw something on IMDb. IMDB reported the movie finished in two thousand sixteen and then they reported a director's cut in two thousand nineteen. That is all like mumbo jumbo. I had nothing to do with that. The movie was finished now in 2016. It was just screened. It was test screened at a film festival. IMDb decided it was finished then, even though it wasn't. I actually started the movie. I started shooting in 2009, and I probably got the screenplay in 1987 or 88. So that's a long time ago. You know, wow, very long time ago. Yep. And the screenplay was written by Mario Radosta. He's the original writer. I took the screenplay, and the screenplay was so old. I mean, you know, it was almost in the 70s. So I decided that let's make this even older because there were no cell phones in the screenplay. Mm -hmm. There there was no, like, 9-11. There was no, they didn't even have, like, AIDS or whatever. So I said, you know what, we're going to really make this a period piece because that'll be fun. But at that time, the original screenplay was all gangsters. It was all New York and Italian gangsters. And, and I was like, oh, do we have to do another gangster movie? But at that time, there was only, there hadn't even been Goodfellas. There hadn't even been The Sopranos. So by the time I got into production in 2009, The Sopranos were out and Goodfellas, everything was cooked. All the gangster movie stuff was done already. It was already right. cooked. So I decided to abandon the genre, and I decided to make the lead gangster into an Irish gangster mm-hmm. who's living as an immigrant in New York. So I just turned it on its head. So the screenplay ended up going through so many revisions. There must have been like 100 versions of the screenplay. And Chuck McMahon wrote most of the revisions, I'd say 90, 95%. So we kept the original story and concept and the, and the characters from Mario's script,
2: mm-hmm. but it
3: was totally rewritten by Chuck. And I had other rewrites done by a friend of mine named John Romain, and there was Philippe Bard, and a whole bunch of people that you know that you know, when you're doing a project there are a lot of writers, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of cooks in the a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I hope that clears the record a little oh, bit.
0: Oh, absolutely. And thank you for all that information. Um,
3: well, so much false information, is like fake news. I feel like fake news. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: let's make sure we don't have any of that. You know, um, no, I don't believe in that. None you, of that for
3: me. That, nope. That, we got plenty of that coming out of Washington. I'm staying far clear of that. We
0: don't need any more. Um, nope, absolutely
3: not. I'm here to set the record. But go ahead. Next, I'm ready right for you.
0: Well, you Bring know, on. the, one of the greatest <laughs> things about 79 Parts is the entire look of the films. And I got to tell you, I was in hog heaven, automotive hog heaven, with all the cars, all the vintage, all the period cars. That you've got in the film. Um, your costume is fabulous. But it's the cars and the location, uh, locations. Absolutely wonderful. And the cars are such well, a you. big part of that culture. And of course, when you think of, be it Italian or Irish mob. Uh, or mobsters. It's always about big cars and flashy and polished and nice. And caddies and Lincolns and you've got everything on parade here how thank you and back east it's hard to find cars in as good a condition as you have on this shoot because of the inclement wow. weather and the salt on the roads and it eradicates them so how, how i
3: got yeah i got to tell you i got to tell you something you know when you're doing a period movie and you take 15 years to make a movie which is how long it takes to make this film Every day driving down the street, I was always looking (laughs) left and right. And if I saw an old car, I would put a note on it, you know, leave a note. Hey, call me. I'm doing a movie. Oh, my God. So I was, you know, always, I was always scouting for cars. But my big, big, big uh, bonus was I had a guy named Tom Nico who basically was, you know, going around uh, parts of – you know, uh, Queens and uh, out there in, um, like, Bay Ridge and and Staten Island, and he was going to the car shows, and he was talking to people who owned cars, and we kind of found the people that had large collections of cars, but they were kind of, we had a lot of beat-up cars. Those would be in the background, and we had some better cars for the main lead cars, but we were never spending much money on the cars. We we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, it's a very low-budget movie. This movie should have been a couple of million dollars. This mm-hmm. is way, way less than that. So, you know, we, we could only spend maybe $50 a day per car. So you can imagine how hard and how many hoops we had to jump through to get all these wonderful cars in the movie. And I had to make a lot of promises that you normally would do uh, if you had, you know, $500 a day budget for a car, you know. So it was a, it was a very challenging thing. And of course, the fun thing was I never knew what car I would have on a specific day. Oh my so we, god! We always had—I mean, we had our lead cars, we had our main cars, which we were our staple cars, right? But there were you know days when we had to have different cars, and I just had to fill the car quota. But Tom always managed to get me something interesting. There's always an interesting car. We even had the Batmobile in the I, film. I the saw. Batmobile yes,
0: I did, I mean, and I just cracked one. up. That was
3: a tough one. You know, what's funny is, like, you know, not, uh, that brings up another subject. We actually shot a scene where these guys are stealing the Batmobile because they're trying to bring a car back for slattery, and, and they see that they're shooting, like, a, you know, they found the Batmobile on some back lot, and we were shooting the scene. Uh, unfortunately, one of the actors passed away during the shoot, so we had to cut the scene. But anyhow, we had this great scene where they were going to... Um, steal this car, and they end up stealing the Batmobile, and of course he doesn't want the Batmobile anywhere near the shop, because that'll draw attention, so he there's a funny scene where he's kicking them out, and you just see it in the credits, you see the Batmobile driving away with the two knucklehead car thieves, you mm-hmm. know, if you saw that, right? Oh, I so watched like it all the way so through. <laughs> What's that?
0: I watched it all the way through. Your end, your end titles are fabulous, by the way.
3: Oh, thank you. Well, it's kind of, I tried to sneak in as much missing footage in there, just, just uh, as a kind of like a hats off to my actors. My cast really mm-hmm. deserved to be you know, seen as much as possible because there was so much more that we shot that ended up on the cutting room floor. But, yeah, you know, the car thing was a lot of fun, and I'm, I really enjoyed having all those cars. And to answer your question about why they look so great, I have to give credit to my post-production team because I had the Lydia Robertson doing editing, and she literally would clean up cars that didn't look so great by just sort of cleaning, literally, like doing something with the film you know, in post, mm-hmm. where the cars just suddenly look shinier. I don't know how she did it. It was some kind of magic trick with the with her, you know, editing software. And, and, and so you could take a kind of beat-up car and make it look almost new, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I fell in love with the cars. The minute I start seeing the cars on the screen, I was just in love with them. Because that, for me, Thank set you. the entire, that's where the visual tone started. That's where your visual Well,
3: you can't have a new car. Did you catch any of the new cars that were in the hit? There might be one or two cars snuck through. Do you see any new cars in the movie?
0: I didn't. I was so enamored with uh, with the vintage that I wasn't oh, I didn't notice any. So if there were any, see now you've made me I got to go back and watch it again just to look. See what well, I don't want to tell
3: anyone where they are. There's people that are out there. They're like vultures They're looking for any little mistake. And already I've gotten calls from people who saw, like, a cell phone tower in the background. And then they saw, like, a, you know, they saw a cap on a fire hydrant. Of course, we couldn't afford to take the caps off of the fire. I mean, there's little things like that. Like, sort of street lamps were, you know, not colored green. They were yellow. I mean, it's different things, you know. So, I mean, we couldn't be absolutely perfect. But if I had a bigger budget, I would have well, sure. gotten rid of those things. But you know, I can only go so far on 15 years and a very small budget. But I'm glad you didn't notice those things because if you did, I get very upset. Like I'm, I like things to look. I'm very, uh, you know, anal retentive. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you <laughs> Sorry know, I to use that word on the
0: air. You know, on oh, you I use that word on the air. Don't worry about it. Um, okay. In addition to the cars, it's like I got to give a shout out to your costumers. Your costumers did a great, great job. Nailing the character of Jack perfectly as a hapless law student, he's got the requisite kind of corduroy jacket on that he wears for a lot of the film. And but the, the big the big thing for for costume for me, I think boiled down to Johnny Solo as Gino, uh, his all his different shirts and all. He really became the stereotypic uh, stereotypical um, image that so many people have about a buffoonish um, Italian guy of that era. Well,
3: well thank you. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Sor, who did our costuming. She single-handedly put the entire wardrobe together. And, of course, we had different wardrobe people on certain days who were actually, you know, addressing everybody. But she designed the entire wardrobe, and she's Israeli. And she's not even, she's not even from this country, and she did a lot of research to make sure everything was really, you know, spot on, as much as we could. And she designed all the wardrobe, you know, she, she did, like, you know, drawings and sketches and everything. We did a lot of research, and, you know, we made sure every character had a certain looks. They were very, very, you could never mix anybody up. You know, there's no way to mix any yeah. character up in this movie.
0: No, Uh, I I mean, the
3: last film was a war film, and they're all wearing army uniforms. It's very easy to get them confused. This is like totally different. So, and Johnny Solo is fantastic to work with. You know, it's funny, Johnny Solo's character, I really wanted him to have long hair and sideburns, but I knew, I knew that we were going to be working with him for more than five years on a movie that takes place in eight days. So I figured, you know what? This guy's a working actor. If I have him wearing these long sideburns, he's going to kill me after the second year because he's doing <laughs> other jobs. So what are you going to do? he got to keep cutting them out and putting them back on yeah. again. And he's going to be really mad. So I said, you know what, Johnny? You just keep the hair you, the way you are. We're just going to say that you're some greaser from the 50s and you're just not in the correct time zone you know that was my that was my reasoning for letting his hair be that way so i just thought i would bring that up since you like johnny so much and if you notice his hair was like more he was his 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 hair wasn't as 70s as the other characters Mm -hmm.
0: yeah he he definitely felt like a cross between the 50s and the 70s he had the red bell-bottom pants which were just an absolute scream by the way and you know, then the floral shirts that he's wearing, that he's taking off the the clothing rack on a on the street. Um, oh,
3: can I tell you a funny story about that? Real oh, quick? please, wanna, please do. Dive. Real quick, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love this. So, all right. So, first of all, those red pants. That was, we, we, we used them over five years, and they were really tight on him, and they ripped every time we used them. <laughs> so we were constantly stitching them to a point where we couldn't stitch them together anymore. I and mean, literally be oh running down the street being chased and they're ripping. But that's not the funny story. The funny story is the beard. Do you remember he had this fake beard? Yes. that kind of sticks on, and he goes, remember that? Yes. That was not in the script. What happened is, the year and day when we had to shoot that scene, because we, we were shooting at this OTV, they were, they, were, they were demolishing it the next day, so I had to get him. He was in another movie where he had this stubble and some kind of weird, like Louis Fifteenth mustache or something, uh-huh. and there was nothing I could do to get him to shave it. And there was nothing to do, and I had to come up with an idea. I have to film with him, and I can't have Johnny Solo as Gino in one scene buying clothing, and then another scene showing up at this O.T.B. with a Louis Thirteenth mustache. Right. So what I decided to do as a clever, on-the-spot director trying to solve an emergency is I got this horrible beard thing, and I had him stick it on his face, and then film that to cover up the Louis Fourteenth mustache, and I was able to then get rid of it in the next scene without breaking continuity because we shot things... All over the place, And right. it's in a, a, a seven-six year period, and no one knows that. No one has any idea. Oh they think God. it was on purpose, and I think that that's kind of funny.
0: That's hilarious. That whole sequence yep. was hilarious, and you've got well, poor, you. you got poor Ryan O'Callaghan as Jack. You've got he is just hapless, and he has no clue what's going on. He's just going. Well, he on- didn't
3: know what was going on in the shoot either. Right? We kind of we didn't want him to know what was going on in the shoot either. So actually, it was even. You know, he was even more challenged because I tried not to tell him what was going to happen mm-hmm. next. I mean, of course, he had a script, but I, he didn't know if he was going to get the girl at the end or not. You know, he had no idea. I kept joking around with him because I wouldn't give them the last three pages. I wouldn't let the actors know. I wanted to keep them on edge, you know.
0: And uh, I think that's a great idea because of the way you have structured this film and the way it plays out. Um, I love, number one, I love, you shot on 16 millimeter. Bless you.
3: Super sixteen millimeter. Yep. Film. Bless
0: you. Bless you. Um, Thank you. That is adds another level and layer of authenticity to this film. Um, well,
3: Kodak likes me. Kodak <laughs> should like you.
0: Uh, I'm a Kodak voice. <laughs> I'm always so excited when people shoot on film, and you know, especially to use you know the Super sixteen. I, I'm I'm almost surprised you didn't go with the Super eight. Um
3: no, I mean you know the quality. But like can I tell you a little story about that? Yes. Okay. So I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a video maker. I'm not a digital maker. I'm a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. That word has real meaning with me. I was trained, I went to NY film school, I made a lot of films. I decided I would never shoot on anything but film. So this film started and ended kind of when film died. Film mm-hmm. died during the making of my film. And I actually had to teach crew people how to load cameras. We had to teach assistants how to load cameras because they didn't—they weren't teaching wow. it anymore. They weren't learning it. My original DP had worked in film at the very end of his days, but everyone on my crew was like 20 years younger than me. So I had to teach them how to, how to shoot film. And that means lighting, too, because if you're trained in digital, for people who are in the business, they know that today you just have a monitor set up you look at the monitor and you got the lights set up and it's easy. Well, in film it's not like that. You have to see the you have to see with a vision of what the lighting's going to yep. look like and any any seasoned dp who's over 50 knows how to light for film. Well, guess what? That's a dying skill. And not only that, okay? Not only that, when you're shooting on film it's very expensive. Very. So I know I can I have to get it three takes. So everything you see there on that screen is done in three or less takes with the actors. I warm them up and get them ready, and I have to get them all on the same level, like an orchestra. And they all have to play perfectly with each other, because I'm not going to do four takes or five takes, because I'll blow my film stock budget. Mm -hmm. So I am very trained to get the performances out of the actor very fast, very rapid, and very accurately to exactly what I need. And it's kind of like, that's what they call movie magic, you know what I mean? And you can't do that if you're working with a digital uh, package or a digital medium you know, you're getting lazy. It's like you're just shooting take after take, like take fifty, take fifty one. And come on, the actor's are dead already. You know? Yeah.
0: No, you are absolutely right. I mean, I I love film. I love watching things that are on film. I'm a product of film. Uh, I went to Temple University to scat, so uh, d- you know it was film, videotape and film. They wow. were they were teaching. Um, digital hadn't even sure. come around because I've got a few years on you, and uh, oh, okay. So uh, you know, it just—I I am a die-hard lover of film, and I'm so glad that film has not died, and that it is still no, being I think used.
3: more people are more people yeah. are doing it now, and of course, I I'm just I have to decide now. I, I've shot only on film all my films, and I have to decide now if I want to continue on a film or I'm going to go to the dark side. I haven't decided Uh-oh. yet, but they're pulling me. They're like, oh, shoot with the red or shoot with the Alexa, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. I mean, it's it is, there's a lot of benefits now to shooting digital, and I'm being told I'm and told, and I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> to
0: it's it, I know a, I know a lot of directors and cinema and a lot of cinematographers that have gone through that same battle of do they go to the dark side or not, and <laughs> some some side. some you have done it
3: 4K or 5K or whatever. Yep,
0: some have done it. Well, there's 6K out there, too. Um, oh, and
3: I've, and, I mean, how many drives do you want? You
0: well, know? the problem is, and I saw this when they were uh, opening it up at NAB convention a couple of years ago, and they were introducing the 6K, but they said there's no delivery system for it. Well, yeah. Yeah, so great. Tell us we got 6K out there, but there's no delivery system for it. Uh, and that's, I'm not
3: excited about it. No. Yeah. I mean, look, it's. Uh, I'm sure it's. It is great, the technology, but you know what? The technology has also harmed filmmakers because the fact that it's so easy now to shoot uh, and anyone can be a filmmaker, it's very hard to get your film noticed. So in a way, it works you know double way. Yeah, anyone can get their movie out there or distributed, but guess what? Everybody's doing it, and so it's very hard to make anything now that's fresh or that people appreciate enough that you can get it to the next level so it's a really tough thing what's happening the technology is yeah. in some ways helping us but it's also killing us
0: yeah it is it is one of those double edged swords that and who knows what's a, uh, what ultimately will play out in the end the one thing we do know is filmmaking movie making will not cease it will continue of course of course absolutely absolutely you know, yes we're almost out of time here Ari so I I I do want to find out where can everybody, besides being on VOD, because I already I already sussed this out and I know Spectrum has it on VOD. Um, where can people see seventy nine parts if they want a good laugh? Okay, off, this is we, the film to yeah, see. First
3: off, we have our we have a screening on uh, Tuesday, May fourteenth, which is tomorrow night, seven p.m. at the Slipper Room, located. Uh, in Manhattan, um, on uh, on Orchard Street, you can go online and just type in Slipper Room, and it's right there in New York tomorrow night. I'll be there uh, doing the Q and A. Uh, doors open at seven p.m. The show is at eight. Uh, we might do some other screenings on the West Coast, but it's already out on digital. It's on uh, video on demand across North America. It's on Google Play, Amazon Prime, and iTunes, and it'll be going on more platforms. I have to give a shout-out to my, uh, my distributor, Factory Film Studio, and also Saffir Entertainment, who is our sales agent. They're selling the movie in Cannes right now this year. Mm. And I have to say one more thing. I'm supposed to say the word pink hair. Now, that's some kind of code word. I don't know what it means, but someone told me they handed me a piece of paper that said pink hair. Now, I don't know what that activates, but maybe there's something going on I don't know about. So anyone out there that knows what pink hair means, I'm sure you know what to do. But anyhow, so what, um, uh, what, is there something else you want to ask me?
0: Well, <laughs> to, you know, I, I just have to thank you for casting Aiden Redmond as Dennis Slattery. Oh, my God. He He's is fantastic.
3: I love that guy.
0: He is phenomenal. And his voiceover, I could listen to that Irish accent all day long.
3: He is a very handsome, charming man, and I can't wait to work with him again and, and everyone else in my in my cast. I really love that guy. I mean he's doing some shows right now. He's directing. He's a fantastic actor and they should have he should have been discovered twenty years ago. Yeah. He, like, you know, it couldn't have come fast enough for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's
0: no great. He is Thanks. he is absolutely amazing. And of course, I was very happy to see Ernest Thomas is still working. You, you saw Ernest in my movie? I did, in the bank scene. Of
3: course, but, I mean, Ernest is great. I love that guy. He, uh, he came in and did a one-day cameo. I mean, of course, I cut out 90% of it because we have to cut the movie down, but I love Ernest. He's a pleasure to work with. He is the sweetest man, and I would love to work with him again. He's fantastic. I mean, he's just so much fun on the set.
0: I, I was tickled, tickled to see him in the film. you know. And, of course, you had Eric Roberts, Sandra Bernhardt, and Tony Lobianco. You're doing a film with mobsters. How can you not have Tony Lobianco?
3: I was very happy to get them. They all had bit parts, and they were kind of like, you know, wondering what I was doing, but I was very happy to get them, and that I have to say that my cast director, Donna McKenna, got me all those people, and I'm really proud of her, because she just shoots for the moon, you know? I mean, we yeah. didn't have a big budget, so I was very happy to get all those people, and also the wonderful and talented Angelica Page,
2: mm-hmm. and, uh,
3: and uh, Lou Martini Jr., and Lisa Regina, and and a whole bunch of other people that they're going to kill me later because I forgot to mention their names.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, well, I I just got to tell you, anybody, the second half of the film is pure laughter, and you really you've done such a good job with your setup that the second half it really earns all the laughs that it gets. Um, well,
3: thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. You know, I got some mixed reviews. I got some really great reviews, and I got some not so great. And it's always nice to hear nice things uh, in my face, and not nasty things written down. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> you know? everybody knows Sylvia will be the first one to tell you that if I thought if I thought the film, you know, sucked, I would tell you. Every filmmaker out there, hey, listen, kn- I'm
3: here. I'm ready to take it. You can throw <laughs> me punches. I'll take. I'll take them. I can take a few punches. I have. I'm. I've been around the block. So this. I, I can take it.
0: <laughs> this. It's a fun, fun film, Ari. Um, I just thank you. And I'm going to enjoy watching a second time to see if I can find any mistakes.
3: Oh, if you find some mistakes, get in touch with me because I want to see what you can find because I know they're in there. Okay. I know where they are, but I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not All going right. To tell anyone. I know where they are. You might have to slow the cat thing down or you might have to freeze frame it do frame by frame to catch them but i know exactly where they are all and right bug the hell out of me but we just didn't have time to take them out so you know what are you going to do
0: all right well i will look for them Ari. thank you so much i hope you'll come back on the show again in the future i would love to well, have you love back to. oh fabulous thank very much thank you ari so much and i'll talk to you, you soon got it.
3: Have... thank you take care thank
0: bye-bye and that was Aritab Director. Seventy nine parts. Seventy-nine parts. It's out there. VOD digital. There's a screening in Manhattan at Flipper Room tomorrow. See it. It is funny. And if you love period, nineteen seventy nine platform shoes, bell bottoms, and vintage cars that are just okay, that made my that warmed my heart seeing all of those. Great film. This weekend, Extracurricular Activities opens another fun, fun, wickedly wicked, darkly wicked comedy. Of course, The Intruder is still out there and Murder Made Easy. Don't forget, go to screen, ScreamTeamReleasing.com. Pre-order your special edition and maybe you'll win that uh, clue card for the horror package. All right, that is all the time we have today. Big Boss is going to be very upset because we went over six minutes and 40 seconds, but that's okay. Next week, it is all about Yellowstone. So until then, this is Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.